Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Jay, another week of quarantine. I trust you're keeping yourself busy. I can tell from afar that you are. Yeah, you know, I just spent the morning uh, trying to figure out how to divide fractions uh, with my one of my daughters, and so um, if I if I seem a little uh, mentally slow this afternoon, it's it's for that reason. Yeah, new math, Common Core, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I meant, I meant staying busy with work, however. So, oh, <laughs> well, that's that's the hardest work I'm doing these days, honestly. Right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, work is work is busy. Uh, you know, various different projects and uh, clients are definitely, uh, I think, really digging in and trying to pivot in some cases or just double down on uh, you know digital marketing in general, content marketing, thought leadership. So, um, you know, in that sense, we're we're kind of, uh, I think, busy with a lot of those projects. Yeah. Have you heard, like I have from a lot of people, just anecdotally, that they feel like they're busier now than they ever were because they have to dial into all of these Zoom meetings? And it's an interesting uh, interesting dynamic right now. Are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the idea that people have more time to pursue things like, you know, whatever, learning macrame or whatever the heck, whatever new hobby that you're pursuing that supposedly you have time for is, is a bit of a myth, but maybe there's those people out there. I don't know. Not certainly not those who are trying to homeschool at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think we have a good guest on today that will be able to uh, share some data with us in terms of how at least attorneys are spending their time. So uh, we're pleased to welcome back. First time we've had a, a return uh, guest, Jay. So we're pleased to welcome back Adrian Lurson. Most of our listenership, I'm sure, is very familiar with Adrian. He's the co-founder and VP of Strategic, strategic Development at J.D. Supra. Uh, and he dates himself a little bit by staking claim to the fact that he's been in digital media, uh, media and audience building since the early days of the web, which uh, goes back to the mid-90s. When, Adrian, you were, I believe, the 18th employee at Yahoo, and you were building and managing the, uh, the first team of writers and editors at Yahoo. Is that correct? Oh, yes, I was earlier at Yahoo. I was 28, not 18, but you know. <laughs> okay, but this, age, this is... yeah, age-wise, you must have only been six then if we're going back yeah. to the 90s. I got to say, I'm kind of confused though. I thought I was on this podcast to talk about how to make sourdough bread in quarantine. Like, uh... <laughs> Well, if you got a, a line on some yeast, I think you're a very popular man. <laughs> got the line on the yeast, seven years old. Good. Well, welcome to uh, the year 2020. So fast forward 30 years from the 90s almost. And um, I'm curious what you're seeing. You sort of have an insider's look at data and how people are spending their time, at least relative to content consumption. So maybe we could start just by reintroducing those who may not be as familiar as they should be with JD Super or what your platform is and maybe talk a little bit about what you're seeing uh, in the data. Sure. And uh, thanks again for having me back. Love the podcast. Love these conversations. Uh, um, besides being a return uh, guest, I'm an avid listener. And I think you guys do an amazing job with these conversations. So thank you for that. Um, JD Super, as many people know, um, is a platform upon which m law firms and other professional services organizations um, they rely on us for audience. So their content is published on our platform and we distribute it out to subscribers in all different kinds of channels. 
And so they come to us for readership and we are a, sort of a busy hub around the sort of uh, information that law firms and lawyers are producing, the thought leadership that they're producing. And it's really at scale. So it's it, it, like a huge number of the AMLAW and firms of all sizes are publishing content on our site. So our view is a very big picture view on the marketplace around thought leadership and need to know information and who's producing what and who's consuming what. So from an offering point of view, it's a mixture of visibility for, for law firms and all of the value that comes from that. And then on top of that, the trends and insights that come from looking at the data that is produced from that readership. Uh, it's sort of a twofold offering in that regard. Lately, you know, um, starting in late February, but March and April and now certainly May, um, relative to what you're asking me, me about, it has been extraordinary in these times to see what happens. Um, there's been a massive increase of content produced by law firms um, around this current crisis and the various aspects of how to deal with it. And there's been just an exponential growth of readership. And I think that everybody is sort of feeling that. And we've just had a massive spike of what was already very healthy readership. And I would use words like insane it is it's insane out there but one of the things that it does and we were sort of talking about this is that it for me at least has proven the absolutely essential role of lawyer and law firm as thought leader at a in, in a time of need in a time in which sense needs to be made of chaos and there's been a conversation about that for what you know 15 years at this point and typically the conversation has been around the various many ways in which value can be extracted from a thought from a lawyer being a thought leader that's happening at scale very very quickly right now across the board and so it, it's it's really quite something the last thing i would say just very big picture is that we've seen over the years the way in which law firms help guide strategic thinking and lawyers um, for all kinds of c-suite um, roles hr managers compliance offices cfos everything from m a to privacy to patent work and the rest one of the things that i've seen that just on a very personal level is very striking about this time is that they're also making sense of issues that on a human level are quite tragic like grandparents trying to understand child custody issues when they've got the custody of a grandkid because the parents are at risk and what and, and but want their kid back and what kind of rights they have during custody during a quarantine to small business owners being absolutely distraught about having to end the employment of a handful of employees who have to feed their families and so there's this whole added aspect of very hu human tragedy to what's happening right now and it's it's big now you yeah you're exactly right it is i'm curious if um we could dive into the data deeply if we want to, but I'm just curious at a big picture level. Obviously, eyeballs, readership is up. Are you also finding like time on site or time on a given article is up as well? Are people spending more time than they were pre-February um, or is there nothing to see there? Um, I would say that a time is up on, on every score. And by that measure, yes, certainly. But I think that, that, that the measure that matters to people who are trying to make sense of this, well, not, you know, 
that that measure matters but but one that matters to me that i've spent a lot of time looking at is so in conversations with people who are trying to make sense of thought leadership i think that uh, oftentimes it's sort of like well why should i do it what value will i see and i think that part of what it has over the years made that a very interesting conversation is that the value um there's there's a sort of a portfolio of roi there is just plain old credentialing and visibility amongst target readers in specific companies and industries. There's the home run of getting new work. There is the ability to build a network of followers who suddenly become aware of what it is that you're good at, who become the kinds of people that you should be networking and connecting with and continuing conversations. There are clients who are reinforced that they've made a smart decision working with you because uh, that you, you know you say smart things there is the media visibility which is multifold sometimes it's just means a reporter linking to something you've already written um, because they've used it as background the other times is a reporter reaching out and saying you wrote that it was super interesting can i use it or the editor of an association periodical saying, this is really good, our members would love it, can we reprint it and credit you? I could go on for 20 minutes listing all of the multifold ways in which writing thought leadership has been of value to, to law firms over the last 12 to 15 years. One metric that matters right now is seeing that value in the virtuous circle of content marketing, coming up with an idea, writing it, publishing it, getting it out there and benef benefiting from it is just happening at scale rapidly. Um, so the, the va yeah, I would say that right now the biggest thing is seeing the reason for being a thought leader prove itself very quickly all the time. Adrian, I think that, you know, if, if for the lawyers out there and law firms that are listening and, and you know, they, they see the value, they understand that there's more, uh, I guess, demand, consumer demand for good content right now. Um, that obviously means that there are um, more eyeballs, more ears uh, that are potentially uh, valuable in terms of getting your content in front of them. But one of the challenges is, I, I imagine, I mean, one of the unique aspects of this moment in time is the fact that um, there is so much content being created, um, and it's also very concentrated uh, in the, among the same issues, right? I mean, every law firm in the country has written something about the Paycheck Protection Program. So people are writing about the same topics, um, and while there are, there's more demand for that content, it, it maybe perhaps is more difficult to stand out in some respects. So um, there is a lot of noise out there, and those who are going to succeed are, are going to be producing content with a, a greater degree of signal-to-noise ratio. And so what are some thoughts you have in terms of, you know, from uh, an individual lawyer's perspective, an individual content creator's perspective, how to, how to go about creating high-quality content that is going to get noticed and is going to generate some of that ROI? That's a really good question. And it's sort of like the essential question of the day, and there's so many different answers to it. Um, and, you know, I, we've published for our clients a handful of, of guidance around this issue, and we sort of uh, framed it very much in the positive. I, I was asked previously, what, what are law firms not doing well? And the answer, what they're doing well and not doing well, is sort of all tied together. Those who are doing what I'm about to describe, those who are succeeding are doing this well, and those who are not are just sort of... Um, 
well, I can give you an example of other things that they're doing, but there's a handful of things really quickly. I would say that these are old tried and true messages, but are especially pertinent today. And that is, first of all, don't simply report the news because the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Reuters and Bloomberg and everybody else has a staff that's already reporting the news. And your competition should not be people who are telling everybody what they already know. Your competition should be the people who are making sense of what that news means now that it's been reported. So it's a tricky thing because you can sort of completely understand the inclination, which is to have a digital record to show that your law firm and your practice group and you paid attention during the news. So you want everybody to be aware of the fact that, that you know that a bill just passed or what have you. Um, that kind of digital record can be left to a LinkedIn status update. Bill just passed, analysis coming is much better than a 300 word press release that somebody on your team has to then turn into HTML and post and then send to a service that put, pushes it out. One of the things that we found in the absolute heat of the moment um, in March was that some firms were so rapidly working through um, reporting the news that by the time their own teams had the ability to put it on their site, it was already out of date and they had to take it down and then do the analysis. So it's rarely about the measured analysis. Um, and if you do want to have this digital record, that's, you know, a social, a social update can be the place to do that for your network. Um, and, and again, you know, sort of in the finite time of a, of a podcast, we, we could spend two hours just talking unpacking this one question that you, you've asked, Jay. I, I, I'll give one example. There is a particular kind of law firm publication whose role I understand, but that I sort of editorially disagree with, which is the encyclopedia, where um, a practice group, a team of lawyers, or maybe one lawyer is making sense of a law in an encyclopedic way in which ultimately what they produce is a wall of text where if you want to understand what it means for you, you have to make your way through it and find the section that says, and so for the insurance industry, this means this, or you make your way three pages down and you say, and for the real estate business, it means this, or if you're a person who has a business in California of less than 50 employees, you have to find the place where, where that exists. And that is, a form of writing that doesn't accommodate the habits of, of readers online, online especially, who don't have the time for that, especially right now. So each of those examples that I gave should be standalone posts by themselves. So my sort of what, I, what I'm really sort of saying here is focus on a specific reader and answer the questions that you know that reader wants and make it really clear from the title onwards that that is who you're speaking to. So for, in, in you know, I, I'm just making this up as I go, but for small business owners in California who have uh, less than 50 employees, the following matters, go, explain it. Um, I also find, you know, lawyers have a, have a lifetime relationship with language and they enjoy language and they live in it. And language is one of those processes that, um, in which you're, you, you can develop your thoughts. And so typically what happens is that most writers, lawyers are not, but I think most people have sort of found, realize that they've gotten to the conclusion once they've had a full sort of arc of thought in their work. What that actually means in practical terms is that the best ideas are at the bottom of the post. So 
everything that you conclude with should be edited out of the bottom and led with at the top. Um, and these are the things that are mattering right now. Don't report the news, make sense of the news, focus on a very specific audience, get to the point very, very quickly up front and use subheads and headlines and bolds throughout your piece because what your readers are not doing is trying very hard to find out whether or not you're talking to them. They want to know that right away, but they're scanning to see now that they know it's about them, what it is that they need to learn from this and, and scanning is what they do first. Yeah, that's consistent with kind of what we've, we've seen as well and what we've been advising clients, especially the point about really contextualizing content for specific audiences. Um, to your point, there's plenty of information out there about, you know, there's exhaustive summaries of the CARES Act, but to the extent you're a, you have a law firm with an agricultural practice, um, being able to pull out those provisions of it and tailoring that content regarding the the, the CARES Act and the st various stimulus programs for that audience specifically is going to make that content stand out. Um, Adrian, one, one last question on, on this point, uh, and then I'll let Tom uh, go from here. But what about, and you touched on this, but what about headlines? I know maybe you don't have any hard data on this, but do you have any sense of what are the, and, and this obviously relates to the issue of, of, sort of sort of narrow focus to content, but any suggestions or thoughts or um, observations around writing good headlines uh, for content right now? Yeah, I would say that they're everything. And I would say that the, the, the big picture advice that I would give is to imagine yourself as a reader online and write to the habits that you're aware of in yourself. And typically that I think that that's twofold. We use um, mobile devices and our streams to get updated on what's happening headline-based. And then we set aside that which we care about most when we're in front of a laptop or a desktop to actually go big and deep and, and read into it. And as a consequence, he headlines make all the difference in the world. They're either gonna be passed over because they tell you nothing or they're not. And I have sort of a world of examples and I think that we have to sort of look at this um, deeper once we're on the other side of it and, and, and spend more time being more um, sort of studious about it. But I'll give you an example from about if, uh, seven years ago, a change to the American patent system. Um, firms were writing, it was a sort of a fundamental change, the first to invent, first to file change. And um, uh, some firms who were writing headlines they would say things like the American patent system or others would say things like a change to the American patent system and this one firm wrote here are 10 reasons why you need to file your patent before March 13th of this year and obviously that firm's piece of content in a three-week period got 30,000 unique views for that piece of content because it called out who needed to read it and why and it's sort of a, just a fundamental given looking at the data at this point that your titles should call you, your titles should earn readership. You should not expect anybody to read you because of who you are. They should, they will read you because you've earned it. You've earned that click. You have to say, this is who I'm writing this for. And this is why you should stop what you're doing and click. Adrian, and then I, I lied. I have one more follow-up and, <laughs> and then I'll go to Tom. But uh, What? Yeah. Sorry, Tom. I know. <laughs> dominating here. Yeah. Uh, so, Adrian, I think many people uh, came, uh, for, were first possibly exposed to JD Supra as a platform for written content. And I know it's probably still the bulk of the content that you published on behalf of your, your clients and customers. 
Uh, but what about the role of multimedia content right now? What are you seeing in terms of, uh, I guess, performance and uh, return on investment from things like video and podcasting, which you now have a great deal of on your site? It's great. It's huge. Um, and I would say that, that every law firm right now, especially, should have a podcast. And I think that it should be a uh, top line summary for a very specific group of people, compliance offices, the C-suite, the legal teams of large corporations, entrepreneurs, HR managers, whatever your focus happens to be, and it could be anything, a top line assessment of developments of the week and why they matter, very, very quick and a quick hit. Um, you know, I've talked about this before, but the, the, the thing is that multimedia doesn't replace text. To this whole point about signal and noise, another way of framing it is that readers go online to find out what they need to know and qualify that which they're looking at and decide whether or not it's for them. And multimedia helps to qualify that readership. So we did some, we looked at, at some early examples when video, when we first started hosting video on the site, people who look at a very, very short video about a legal topic and decide that it matters to them, then click on links and read something, spend more time reading the text than those who simply start reading the text because those who simply start reading the text don't really know until they've read whether it's for them or not. Those who've watched the video or listened to a short podcast have qualified that this matters to them and they are now doing a deep dive. So, uh, Multimedia is definitely not an either or, and I think it's an essential element. I also think, you know, I'm, maybe it's just so obvious that nobody's talking about this, but if you look at the wide spectrum of marketing visibility, um, credentialing, expertise, uh, proving, and all of the rest that's been available to all of us for the last many, many years, um, including one of the most vital for lawyers, which is speaking at a conference. Um, those days are significantly curtailed right now. This is the last safe frontier. And it's almost ironic, you know, that in a, in a landscape in which viruses have been a fear, that a real virus has made it clear that this is the safe environment in which to operate. Um, thought leadership is, is everything. And uh, people buy and like to work with people that they know and to be able to hear someone's voice rise above the page of text is is a good thing in a relationship-based business hearing hearing audio seeing video um, and legal matters are complex so they require text they require lots and lots of text but audio certainly helps make sense for somebody whether or not that text is for them yeah, and I have some anecdotal data, so I don't have access to hard numbers like you do, but there was a fear or an expectation, I'm talking specifically about podcasting now, is that um, when everyone started to quarantine and shelter in place, that the half hour to 45 minute or even an hour commute is gone, and that perhaps that might diminish the audience or at least the appetite bandwidth for people to consume podcasts. And what we found, again, just anecdotally, is I don't think we've ever had more feedback and input on our podcast as we have um, since March 1st. So we're seeing, you know, maybe a greater audience. Maybe people aren't 
commuting, but they're taking extended walks, you know, in the park or whatever, they're committing to a new workout regimen and they need something to listen to. So that's what we're hearing, which kind of goes back to something that you said, even before we got quote unquote on air in terms of the, the consumption of podcasting being on the increase and maybe being sort of an entryway into written content. But you also made a great point about how podcasting differentiates from video with respect to barrier to entry. And um, it's easier, as you just suggested, to maybe hop on a podcast and record that than it might be to shoot a video. Share with the listeners what you were describing earlier, Adrian, if you would. Sure. Well, you know, in the many conversations that we've had over the years with um, marketing and BD teams and lawyers wanting to do video, what, one of the things that becomes very apparent very quickly is that in this risk-averse, very professional service-oriented marketplace, and again, this is a very reasonable consideration, um, if they want to do video, most law firms and lawyers, with a few exceptions, wouldn't just record themselves on an iPhone, despite the fact that that is the kind of thing that the world expects at this point and would find perfectly reasonable. So that immediately means that there ought to be some kind of studio. And there is absolutely a role for video and there's lots of good people out there producing it and offering that service for firms and it does, it does a, a great service. But it, it, it is an expenditure that audio is not. I mean, right now is the age in which everybody's talking about Zoom click record on zoom and you've got the beginning of a conversation that can be quite easily edited into a podcast. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's the ability to have multimedia without having video in that regard. Um, and the expenditure and the concern, there's also, you know, sort of like an inherent shyness amongst many people of being on camera and getting camera ready. That is just not part of the equation when it comes to podcasting. I'd also say that I, you know, I read you guys, as you know, we include your podcast regularly in, in our editorial channel for law firm marketing um, and, and firm leadership. And it's, it's a, it's a popular aspect of that channel. And as a consequence, we listen to all of your work. I feel I know you guys because of this podcast and that in a relationship based business is everything. Yeah. Good point. I hope that's a good thing. Um, Jay can be, you know, an acquired taste, but hopefully <laughs> yeah, it's better. It's better that I'm down here in my basement with a, with a laptop than out in the real world. Uh, low, I think they call that low affiliation as a, like a personality tendency, but no. Oh. Hey, I wanted to, Tom, I'll let you then ask your next question, but um, to your point, you were, you were raising, uh, saying sort of that, We've seen anecdotal um, evidence of the fact that, you know, we've had more listenership and I think that's right. Uh, I did actually, because I'm working on a podcast project for a client right now and found some recent statistics on sort of post-quarantine um, podcast listening. And actually, um, and probably not surprisingly, overall podcast listening is down a bit in the U.S., like 20%. And that is reflected. They, they attributed that to the lack of commute. However, um, and I think this is more reflected in, in what you and I and, and maybe Adrian have experienced is that certain segments of podcasts are way up. So as you might expect, like healthcare and medical podcasts are like up 600, 700%. And there's a number of other sort of niche B2B topics like that. They're also through the roof. Um, so this gets back to, again, the issue of contextualizing and having a narrow focus to your content. So to the extent that you are, uh, you know, have a healthcare practice or one of the other, you know, essential 
labor and employment, certainly employment law, um, you know, restructuring, all these issues that are top of mind for business owners right now, um, I think you have a, a huge opportunity to reach a much bigger audience than has ever been available through podcasting. So I'll just stop there, but I just wanted to share that, that one statistic I came across. You know, if I can, I just want to sort of add this. I'm sorry if this is too much of a diversion and you can sort of edit it out if it is, but I would say that that, that point, Jay, and this conversation, I think is, is everything about teams within law firms and the lawyers who are going about the business of being thought leaders. And it has everything to do with what success looks like. Um, and it, it isn't about volume. It's, about, it, it's not about qu quantity, it's about quality. And that's, in, that's included in, in terms of audience. So, you know, your, your point about whether it's up or down and the niche markets, uh, who's listening to what, sort of immediately brought to mind this um, interesting thing that happened recently, which is that a, a law firm wrote a post about very, in the very early days when we we're all going into lockdown about what it meant to be an essential worker. And the post, by one measure, volume of readership was an absolute um, home run out of the park to the moon so much readership that almost on an hourly basis people were saying this is really valuable thank you does it apply to me this is really valuable does it apply to me i'm a hairdresser i'm a dog walker i fix bicycles i do this i'm a brewer i'm a cook i'm a waitress and to the point of reaching such a large audience that in conversation with the law firm, we decided to actually delist, unpublish the post. Because in thought leadership of this kind, where you're offering a professional service, it needs to strategically make a connection with the people who can help you grow your business, not the entire world. So this, this conversation pertains to, to not only that, post but also this idea of video and multimedia so you sort of for example hear about the fact that that youtube is massive with a huge readership we should have videos to be on youtube that's not the reason to be on youtube because first of all youtube is a mile wide and an inch deep it has a huge readership but it also has an equally huge amount of content so no law firm is going to get a huge amount of reach there um, but it's really about who you reach, not the numbers of people that you reach. And it became a burden for this law firm to respond to all of these people and explain what an essential worker was because none of them strategically added any value to the work that that firm was doing. And they're not cold and calculating and mercenary, they're just practical about how to use their time. And I'll end this by saying that in the early days, I met a client who was, um, new on JD Super and uh, in a very specific insurance practice. And I was new to the game. And when I met her, I said, well, thank you for being with us. And, you know, I'm going to get you a really big readership now. And her response was, honey, I don't need a big readership. I just want the right readership. And it was an eye-opening moment for me because that's exactly right. Um, and, and that's what you're after. And uh, Jay made a very similar point in last week's, uh, was it last week's or the prior week podcast when we talked about um, expanding your LinkedIn network and his point was quality over quantity as well. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into the last, you know, bit of our conversation, a couple, two, three minutes we have left. We wanted to talk about goal setting. So you just shared with us a, a really interesting cautionary tale and earlier on um, in the uh, podcast today, you referenced home run scenarios and all of the other singles and doubles and triples that also lead to to score. And 
I wanted to just pick your brain. I think, I mean, what we're advising all of our clients right now is to take this moment to reassess all strategy and thought leadership, content marketing requires that you start with strategy. It's always been, you know, what I've advocated for. Um, I think a lot of times people get into it just to, to check off a box or to, they feel like the, the process of doing something is the end. And really that's not the end as the cautionary tale illustrates. The end is to connect in a meaningful way with a very specific person to affect some very specific outcome. So I'm curious, you know, I quote you a lot, Adrian, even though you don't hear it, I quote you, you know, the, the very first story you told about the praise singer, um, and I reference you, don't worry. Um, I quote you a lot about signal to noise, but I'm hoping you're gonna give us some, some thoughts now on thought leadership strategy uh, that I can quote. So what have you observed and what would you advise law firm, legal marketers and attorneys in terms of reassessing their strategy and how they might reset it going forward? Uh, the pressure's on. You realize that all of my quotable material is about 10 years old and every, everybody's heard it so often that in five, you know, five years from now, you're going to roll your eyes because I'm going to be on stage saying, oh, God, I've heard this. Um, you know, we asked uh, a, a handful of CMOs with whom we work to, to, to each offer a paragraph and say, um, this is what I would tell my team as a skill or a discipline that they ought to... Um, really sort of hone for the moment um, in preparation for when a new version of normal returns and when, when, you know, it's going to be essential for, for everybody to have this particular skill. And it was a very broad question and I've got a broad list of interesting answers, but sort of running through all of them um, was this point that I, I think was made uh, by, by, well, it was made by everybody, but said really well by Jill Weber, um, a CMO, a leader in, in the law firm legal marketing space, uh, which sort of said that um, the voice of the client has, always mattered but especially matters now and that's certainly going to be true uh tomorrow and i think one of the things that you guys embody in all of the advice that you give and i think is absolutely right is that this is is um really not about these random acts of content um, in which you're just firing off a huge amount of content or if you're not producing a lot little pieces of content into the dark and seeing where they stick but um you know You've had me back. I really appreciate it. The first conversation that we had was really about something that was a trajectory before everything changed here, which is the role of data in all of this. And I think that what, what I expect to see going forward is a rise again of the role of data in that regard. Um, so the thing is that if you have a reader and they work for a particular company and then you have a thousand readers and then you have a hundred thousand readers and you have a million readers, you can sort all of those readers into specific companies and all of those specific companies into specific industries. And when you have a measure of what it is that really interests them, you have the beginning of understanding trends and that is the voice of the client. And this is what people are going to rely on. There are some, uh, there are plenty of smart people in the space and extraordinarily smart lawyers who can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow and be right. And then they're going to miss a few things that data will extrapolate and articulate and show. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be really, really fascinating to see and tracking your readership, you know, there's a simpler way of putting it. Spoke to a CMO of a firm 
client of ours and they say, um, for me, my entire reason for being is meaningful FaceTime. And what that means is that I, my BDN marketers, uh, give enough data and intelligence to lawyers that they can have meaningful FaceTime with their clients. Meaningful FaceTime means knowing what to say and having the right questions and the right probing kind of questions to lead conversations in interesting places. If you know something about the person that you're about to have that conversation with, that is the beginning of meaningful FaceTime. And that comes from knowing what they've been reading knowing that they care now about privacy amongst their employees in the age of Zoom, uh, knowing about healthcare issues when, um, you know, it's really fascinating to see what people care about right now. And they care about whether or not employees can take your temperature when you walk into a building. Um, and it's data surfaces all of these things that lawyers have a very, very real role in answering. Well, Adrian, uh, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up. And I know uh, I learned a lot here in today's episode. I'm sure our listeners will as well. So, so thank you for all the insights. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back and for continuing the podcast. Love it. Of course. Well, we're looking forward to, to episode three uh, for, for you. And maybe that'll be sometime, uh, you know, after the summer or something like that. It'll be interesting to take a look at the at the next stage of, of this landscape and what, what that looks like. But we all know that, you know, the whole law firm content marketing, thought leadership marketing um, landscape is always changing. So again, thank you for coming on today, Adrian. I encourage everyone to check out JD Supra. Um, it's a very valuable platform, I think, for any law firm looking to spread the reach of its content and reach the right audiences. So, so go check that out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank and, you. Adrian, real quick, before we let you go, I did find a quotable nugget in there. So uh, well done. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time, Adrian. See ya. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.